Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast, the 17th October year of our Lord, 2017. Doing it a day early. A lot of stuff came out. I got nothing better to do, the wife's on the road. So I figure, what the hell? Let's crank it out. A few things up front before we get into the usual rhythm. Death toll in Somalia's worst ever attack rises to 231. One truck bomb. Just a reminder to all you liberals out there. ISIS isn't real. Benghazi. They just say Benghazi. There's terrorists, right? There are big time terrorists out there everywhere. So just, just understand that's a fact. New York's prominent Muslim surgeon arrested in jihad bomb plot create the next 9-11 attacks on concerts, subways, subways in Times Square. That's number two. And I didn't even look for these. They're just random things I fell upon. I could do a whole podcast on all the evildoers doing evil things, but. Just a reminder, Colin Kaepernick, who still wants to play, has now formally put a grievance with the NFL. Mike Freeman reports, I am told that Kaepernick 7 has filed a grievance under the CBA for collusion against the owners. If accurate, this is huge. Kaepernick has hired attorney Mark Garagos, who has represented numerous high-profile clients. Kaepernick opted out of his contract at the conclusion of last season with the expectation to be fine a new landing spot, but has not gotten a new deal and has received surprisingly little interest compared to how well he played last season. He finished with 12 touch, 16 touchdowns and four interceptions in 12 games. Um, everybody understand he was going to be cut. Okay. He, he's going to be cut, but Clay Travis, no conservative dude. No, it isn't at all, bud. I can file a grievance for collusion against owners, too. Same chance of success. Jim Trotter, everyone I've spoke to, including those who strongly support Colin, believe he has little chance of winning a collusion suit. Andrew Brandt, to win, need a smoking gun indicating concerted action. Teams will all say, we like the guy we had. It is a bunch of dog shit. Problematic AF summed it up better than I could have. Ha, 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 Good luck, clown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Jake Tapper, of all people, reporting bad news for Democrats. Federal judge in Newark has denied the defense team's motion for judgment acquittal in the corruption trial of Senator Menendez. Judge said a rational jury could conclude the defendants entered in a quid pro quo agreement. All 18 counts against Menendez going to the jury, despite casting doubt on charges last week. Judge today, let them go forward because it's a done deal. He will be convicted on one of those 18 counts. You can guarantee he's going to do doggone jail time, even if the media doesn't want to cover it. Let's close the loop. So, since we're talking about 
all this Weinstein stuff, which, by the way, his brother is now under charges. A showrunner is literally bringing, I don't know what that is, but basically, <laughs> somebody else is saying a Weinstein grabbed the booby, jerked off in a fern, did something. But, you know, liberals like to get on Twitter and they, they do causes. So, under this, hashtag me too is supposed to be sexual harassment and sexual assault. And once again, I, I'm not dogging anybody that comes forward. It takes a lot of courage. I just think this whole social justice Twitterism is the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my life. The only time I've ever Twitter social justice is to mock the social justice that's being Twittered with a hashtag. But one came in there that nobody probably wanted to hear. And that was Dana Loesch. Hashtag me too. Spent my weekend preparing to move due to repeated threats from gun control advocates. One guy hunted down my private cell phone number, called when the police were here, threatened to shoot me in my yard. Another guy created a string of social media accounts posting photos of my house, threatened to rape me to death. Another gun control advocate, after threatening to hunt me down and assault me, dragged my kids into it. I'm grateful that my kids' school worked with law enforcement and private security to ensure campus safety and work with me. I've only ever discussed these issues kind of vaguely. More I can't discuss. I and other 2A women are sexually threatened regularly. I'm not sad, just determined. Maybe some people will drop the ideological boundaries and not cherry-pick concern. Maybe someday. When you think of it, it's amazingly sad to see treatment of women on social media who do not identify as progressive. I see conservative women regularly abused on social media by some of the same people slamming Weinstein. The culture is only non-conservative women deserve respect. It's idiotic, demonstrated daily, and deserving of more than 140 characters. If inequality was truly concerned for modern feminists, they defend, not shame, women for making choices antithetical to progressives. But they sold out by try- tying their cause to a party and don't defend conservative women as strategy. Some sexism is okay if it silences conservatives. Feminism shouldn't, should have defended women regardless of party. Let ideas battle it out in the public sphere, but everyone speaks. Anyway, this is why I just got heated about this. I've experienced firsthand and witnessed other women endure the same. This is all over conservative uh, internet. And it's true. She's actually moving. The very same people who speak so much about how guns beget violence are wishing violence on a person that is 2A. Somehow, it doesn't really surprise me. It is actually to be expected. Chelsea Clinton came in, which surprised me. This is all awful and unacceptable. Those of us who disagree with you, the strongest, have a particular responsibility to strongly condemn. Cameron Gray, nice tweet by Chelsea Clinton, but note the many disgusting replies calling Loesch a liar. A conservative telling a woman accusing Harvey Weinstein she's a liar would get destroyed on here, but liberals can call Loesch a liar. And on cue, wait, laugh out loud, gun control advocates threatening you, yeah, I'm not buying it, a feminist woman. Sam Fussbro, feminist woman, I don't believe her, this is a person who pushed for more guns after Sandy Hook, now claiming gun control advocates are going to shoot her. Yeah. It went on and on and on. But it's okay. We talk about it all the time of show. Alec Baldwin, good dude. He's a piece of shit. 
Weinstein was a good dude forever. We covered for him because he was on the same team. Monica Lewinsky joined it and was responding to the women's march, to all the women sharing stories of sexual assault and sexual harassment. Thank you for your bravery to speak up. You're not alone. Hashtag me too. So she did. Me too. Grateful mom. I've always felt an anger for all you went through at such a young age because me too. I'm sorry. Be well. Alyssa Milano jumped it. Thank you for pointing out that sexual assault survivors come from all walk of life. Many face the threat of gun violence and sexual assault at the same time. This should happen to no one. And our differences do not matter when this kind of violence becomes a reality. And she did that on Dana Loesch's thread, which surprised me. But the best one for ignorance, hypocrisy, moveon.org. Hashtag me too. You are not alone. Anthony Abides goes old enough to remember the site's namesake. And I don't remember this because I didn't have Twitter back in the day. You guys are saying me too, the organization founded to help protect Bill Clinton from charges of abuse and rape. <laughs> Aaron Worthing. That's what move on literally means. Move on from Bill Clinton's sexual abuse. Change the subject. But it's the left. So, you know, what are you going to do? They're just, they're, they're just fucking hypocrites. Then this happened today. Good afternoon, everybody. This morning, I called Bob and Janny Bergdahl and told them that after nearly five years in captivity, their son, Bo, is coming home. Sergeant Bergdahl has missed birthdays and holidays and the simple moments with family and friends, which all of us take for granted. But while Bo was gone, he was never forgotten. His parents thought about him and prayed for him every single day, as did his sister, Skye, uh, who prayed for his safe return. He wasn't forgotten by his community in Idaho or the military, which rallied to support the Bergdahls through thick and thin. And he wasn't forgotten by his country because the United States of America does not ever leave our men and women in uniform behind. As Commander-in-Chief, I am proud of the service members who recovered Sar Sergeant Bergdahl and brought him safely out of harm's way. As usual, they performed with extraordinary courage and professionalism, and they've made their nation proud. Right now, our top priority is making sure that Bo gets the care and support that he needs and that he can be reunited with his family as soon as possible. I'm also grateful for the tireless work of our diplomats and for the cooperation of uh, the government of Qatar in helping to secure Bo's release. We've worked for several years to achieve this goal, and earlier this week I was able to personally thank the Emir of Qatar for his leadership in helping us get it done. As part of this effort, the United States is transferring five detainees from the prison in Guantanamo Bay to Qatar. The Qatari government has given us assurances that it will put in place measures to protect our national security. I also want to express gratitude to the Afghan government, which has always supported our efforts to secure Bo's release. Going forward, the United States will continue to support an Afghan-led process of reconciliation, which could help secure a hard-earned peace within a sovereign and unified Afghanistan. As I said earlier this week, 
We're committed to winding down the war in Afghanistan, and we are committed to closing Gitmo. But we also made an ironclad commitment to bring our prisoners of war home. That's who we are as Americans. It's a profound obligation within our military, and today, at least in this instance, it's a promise we've been able to keep. I am mindful, though, that there are many trip, uh, troops who remain missing in the past. That's why we're never going to forget. We're never going to give up our search for service members who remain unaccounted for. We also remain deeply committed to securing the release of American citizens who are unjustly detained abroad and deserve to be reunited with their families, just like the Bergdahls soon will be. Bob and Janie, uh, today families across America share in the joy that I know you feel. Uh, as a parent, I can't imagine the hardship that you guys have gone through. Uh, as President, I know that I speak for all Americans when I say uh, we cannot wait for the moment when you are reunited and your son, Bo, is back in your arms. So with that, I'd like uh, Bob to have an opportunity to say something, and Jan, if she'd like as well. Please. Um, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has supported Bo. He's had a wonderful team everywhere. Um, we will continue to stay strong for Bo while he recovers. Thank you. I'd like to say to Bo right now, who's having trouble speaking English, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, Zayabayem. I'm your father, Bo. Um, to people of Afghanistan, the same. Um, Khalifa Al Thani. Uh, the complicated nature of this recovery was will never really be comp comprehended. Um, to each and every single one who affected this um, in this country, in the service branches, at the State Department, uh, throughout the whole of American government and around the world, at international uh, governments around the world, thank you so much. Um, we, we just can't communicate the words uh, this morning when we heard from the President. So. We look forward to continuing the recovery of our son, which is going to be a considerable task for our family. And we uh, hope that the media will understand that that will uh, keep us very preoccupied in the coming days and weeks um, as he gets back home to the United States. Thank you all for being here very much. Thank you. <laughs> Do we remember that? That was the President of the United States who swapped a bunch of really high payoff target POWs for a guy who deserted and ended up getting a bunch of soldiers killed whose father praised Allah and looked like he belonged to the Taliban? Yeah, this guy in Chelsea Manning running one and two for douche of the year. That was from Sean Spicer, the fake Sean Spicer account, which made me click a link. Bo Birdog pleads guilty to desertion in first ever T interview, merges with Taliban captive, saying he's insulted people think he's a traitor. 
Bo Bergdahl pleaded guilty to desertion charges in the military court Monday. Early Monday, ABC News aired an interview with the former Army sergeant, his first televised interview. The interview was filmed last year by British filmmaker Sean Lagan. In the video, Bergdahl says he doesn't think he can get a fair trial because of comments President Donald Trump made during the campaign. We may as well go back to kangaroo courts and lynch mobs that got what they wanted, Bergdahl said. President Trump has said he thinks exchanging five Taliban prisoners for Bergdahl in 2014 was a bad idea and that Bergdahl should have been executed. Bergdahl doesn't offer an explanation for why he deserted his post in 2009, and he says it's insulting that people think he wanted to join the Taliban. That's what he said. His exact statement. You know, it's just insulting, frankly. It's very insulting. The idea that they would think, I did that. You did. Fox, Bo Bergdahl, please guilty. Army Sergeant Bo Bergdog pleads guilty Monday at Fort Bragg to charge the endangered comrades by walking away from his post in Afghanistan in 2009. The court case wrapping up three years after a stunning Rose Garden spectacle in which former President Barack Hussein Obama, flanked by Bergdahl's parents, triumphantly announced the soldier's release. I understand that leaving was against the law, said Bergdahl. The decision to walk off his remote post in Afghanistan in 2009 prompted intense search and recovery missions during which some of his comrades were seriously wounded and died. Covered it on the show. At the time, I had no intention of causing search and recovery operations, he said. Bergdahl told the judge he left his post because he had an issues with his command and was trying to travel to another base, lie, and notify them, a claim that has been disputed in the past by former platoon mates. He had he got lost after 20 minutes and was captured hours later. The misbehavior charges carried a maximum penalty of life imprisonment, while the desertion charge is punishable up to five years. Bergdahl has claimed money escaped around 12 to 15 times from the Taliban. With one instance, eight days until he was recaptured. Lie. Wasn't immediately clear whether his defense has conceded that he's responsible for a long chain of events that a desertion prompted, which included many decisions by others on how to conduct the searches. Others just said no comment. So the right did what they should. Susan Rice. Our hearts and filled with joy for Bergdahl's family. Everybody else. Where's the joy for the families of the six soldiers who died looking for Bergdahl after he deserted his unit to join the Taliban? It was very harsh. How many deaths will happen because of the five terrorists released? Another ask. Guy Benson. Bergdahl's treachery cost other U.S. soldiers' lives. Obama White House traded five senior Taliban terrorists for BB's release and praised him. A disgrace. And he's right. Just right. This whole thing is such a stain, but the the the, the media won't take it to Obama because they love him too much. Because tweets like this, honor and distinction, then pleads guilty. Thanks Barack Obama for setting a bar so low. That's what the president said. He served the administration said he served with honor and distinction. Chris Murphy from May thirty first, twenty fourteen, an American hero is coming home. That doesn't age too fucking well. Somebody asks, has this clown ever been right? But Ryan Savardra really sums up how I look at it, and people say this is Alex Jonesy, it's evil, it's just Rush Limbaugh. I don't give a fuck what you think. Democrats think Bergdahl is a hero. He deserted. Six American soldiers died. There is nothing they have done on the war on terror that I look at and go, they really give a fuck about soldiers. They really give a fuck 
about America. They just don't. I'm sorry. I registered Republican because of how they were handling the Iraq war. And I'm not a Republican. But in Tennessee, there's no independent. So I wanted to be able to play in the, you know, primaries. But I couldn't vote for a Democrat during that time. I was just fucking embarrassed. They wouldn't even finance the fucking thing. Anna Navarro, who tried to get Trump again, and she'll be in our main segment today because there's so long this list of 25 conservatives that we should be listening to. It just seems to be they're all like Anna Navarro and hate Trump. Simple. President of the United States should not lie knowingly repeatedly, lie in former about former POTUSes and lie about dead soldiers. She's speaking on the fact that he said Obama never called the families of the dead soldiers. Wait for it, liberals. You're about to find out she and all of you are wrong. Wise not I am. So don't blame a video. Don't inherit every problem. Don't say traitor served with honor and distinctions. Somebody else. Finally, a blue check calling out Barack Hussein Obama. And I think that's pretty good. So it gets to the point where all the blue checks come out. Trump, on his claim, other presidents didn't call the families of fallen soldiers. You should ask General Kelly if he got a call from Obama. Other question is how Kelly feels having his son's death used in, the, in this way. He may be unhappy with Obama or may not. DHS source told me Kelly, very sensitive to politicization of son's death, pushed back on White House attempts to highlight angel moms on immigration. All day I've been reading, that's a fucking lie to say President Obama or past presidents didn't call for family members of soldiers, KIA. He's a deranged animal. Alyssa Mastromonaco, Big Lib, on Twitter. Problem is, NBC Politics, just in, President Obama did not call General John Kelly when his son was killed in Afghanistan in 2010. White House official tells NBC. Didn't matter, though. Because all the while... Ben Rose is outrageous and disrespectful lie even by Trump standards. Jim Acosta was having the truth that the President of the United States completely misstates the facts while calling the media fake news. Anderson Cooper, Ryan Lizza, on Trump claiming Obama didn't contact families of fallen troops. With this president on a daily basis, he makes shit up. Washington Post, after the NBC report, they didn't want to go with that. No, 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 no. We can't have that. It's a dear one. Fact checked. They fact checked this. And this is going to hurt some feelings. So get some tissue. Get some tissue. We could not find any contemporary evidence of Obama calling fallen soldiers. But they gave no rating. Typical, typical Washington Post. They know rating it instead of said the truth. Obama didn't call the soldiers. Obama didn't give a fuck about dead soldiers. The media didn't give a fuck about dead soldiers. They didn't even release the names. There was no wall of honor or death board tally like back in Bush days. The moment Obama took office, you'd have to fucking go to a military site to find out if anybody died. So no, 
Obama didn't call anybody. But he called Bo Bergdahl with his Muslim dad. Do the math on that shit. Tweets of the day. Keith Olbermann, so effing tired of Yasiel Poog's act, particularly his apparent terrible vision. Don't bat flip singles and doubles. Yasi Puig, who I have no fucking clue who he is. Hey, Keith Olbermann, I flip on singles and doubles and not on homers. Come watch the show. Need a ticket? I got you. Poog, your friend too. Eric Edelstein. We should all respond to anger with such kindness. Charles C. Pierce, I want this thread to go on for fucking ever. Yasil will be your friend and won't make fun of you for your awesome bat flips. What a guy. Poog is better at reaching across the aisle than all our politicians and Obermann. And then Obermann. Well, if you're going to be like that, if you're going to be that way about it, I guess I'll have to say yes and apologize to you. Keith Oberman apologizing outright? That's a tweet of the day. Hey, tweet of the day! To our hate tweets, Jamil Lemieux. I- I'm going to read this slowly because I'm just so sick of reading stuff like this. A movie poster with no white women. My soul is fed. Yesterday, 8.53 a.m. Ian Miles Chong. Imagine being cited for a movie because it has no white women in it. Seems awfully racist to me. I hereby declare that the emoji represents colonialism. Something to do with an eye... Glass? Oh, fuck, I'm not in this emoji. Base Ghost, you must be very insecure if that's the first thing on your mind when looking at a movie poster. I guy, I bet a white woman will still get paid from this. It's the American way. Capitalism is colorblind. Willpower. It's more than just seems. Imagine a white woman being excited for a no black folk in an art promo. Yeah. Think about that for a second. Think about anybody on the planet saying that. I only know of one Richard Spencer. Which the media was happily replaying him getting punched in the face cold clock style. But this woman can just say it. And we on. We're about to enter a bunch of hate. It's Clinton. She's back again. She won't fucking go away. Really wish she would. The hell, Clinton, Comey reopened the probe into my privileged private email server. <laughs> that was a Freudian sleep. Privileged emails. I mean, the same difference. Cost me women's votes. I would have won, but for Jim Comey's letter on October 28th. I think every day that goes by, the evidence of that becomes clearer. Oh, it does, huh? The hill then said, Clinton, Russian election interference was a cyber 9-11. 
And for her equating the death of 3,000 Americans, majority of them firefighters and police officers, to you losing an election because you had an illegal server and people hacked some shit that can't even be proven it was Russia. And in fact, the damnation, which is liberal, has said it wasn't Russia. You're a motherfucker, Hillary Clinton! Motherfuckers, thank y'all run everything. Motherfuckers, 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 Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. What the fuck? Why does the left keep saying that kind of shit? The 2016 election was worse than Pearl Harbor, worse than the Black Plague, worse than 9-11. God, Tom Nichols. No, it wasn't. And shame on you for using that comparison. Stand up for America. Swelling of the brain, even when she has a huge head, still showing paranoia, schizophrenia. Hillary, we don't like liars, cheats, and skanky killers. <laughs> I had to put that one on. Dill Hillary, I could vomit just looking at you. Ginger, a woman. She is shameless. People died on 9-11 and she uses dead bodies because she can't handle she lost. Todd Apple. Todd Apple, excuse me. She's out of her sociopathic mind. The fact that she is considered relevant to any discourse at this point is outrageous. Stop enabling this. Why? Why would you think that would ever happen? The media loves her. She's still just like fucking Obama. She's a deity. Fox News then reported Clinton Foundation to keep Harvey Weinstein's donation. So while she's saying it's a 9-11 and being a heinous fucking whore for saying it, and yeah, I called her a whore, I can't be a sexist for calling somebody who says 9-11 is just like her getting, her server getting hacked, when if she had her server in a secure center, it never would have happened, because it was fucking illegal. That abstains me. And if, you know... Alec Baldwin's cool. Well, fuck it. I'm going to call people fags, whores, everything. I mean, you guys say that's okay. Hillary Clinton then fell, broke toe on stairs during London book tour. Yeah. She canceled several media appearances Monday while on her book tour in London after she fell down the stairs and broke her toe. I was running down the stairs in heels with a cup of coffee in my hand. I was talking on my shoulder and my heel cut. I feel backwards, Clinton told the Graham Norton show. I tried to get up and really hurt. I broke my toe. I've received excellent care from my excellent health service. From your excellent health service. Excuse me. Because, of course, she's in London where everybody gets it. And away we go, Stephen Miller says. London, Hillary, falling down, falling down, falling down. She didn't have to wait for an appointment like normal Londoners, a Londoner said. KY Jeeper, I see she hasn't cut back on those three martini lunches. Then Paul Carp said something that I was 
just shocked. And it's true. Clinton, Jim Comey, shiv me. Well, he did. He did shiv me. I should explain to anybody who doesn't know, a shiv is a metal object sharpened to use in prison, usually for murder. Yeah. So then she went after Julian Assange. Julian Assange is a tool of Russian intelligence. This is for an Australian newspaper. Four Corners. Julian Assange responds, there's something wrong with Hillary Clinton. It is not just her constant lying. It is not just that she throws off menacing glares and sees thwarted entitlement. Watch closely. Something much darker rides along with it. A cold creepiness rarely seen. Keith Oberman decided to attack him. She's not the one stuck in the basement of a fucking embassy for the rest of her life. Is she, Sonny? Yuliana Saz. Yeah, it's really funny the U.S. is violating its own constitution has run a grand jury against a publisher for the last seven years and pressured U.K. to violate asylum law and multiple U.N. rulings. Say, how did that work out for you, Keith Oberman? Mm-hmm. But it's a cult. It's just a cult. Newsweek. Lawrence Lessing lays out how Hillary Clinton can end up in the Oval Office. I'm not going to read the replies. Everybody's mocking it. Like, what, was she going to run through security? I mean, seriously. But, see, here's some of the theories. Um, Dems win House in 2018, name HRC Speaker, which they can. Impeach Trump, impeach Pence, HRC is the president. They're serious about this. But Instapundit, are there stairs involved? <laughs> So, I don't know what we're going to do with her, but at the end of the day, she needs to go the fuck away. That's all I'm saying. I- I've never seen a candidate who lost the presidency hang out this long. I've never seen the media coverage for said person embarrassing. He shivved me. I know you run around with hot sauce in your pocketbook and you think you're a, a soul woman or some shit. A sister. But you're not a sister. You're Lily White put a lot of black people in jail woman back when your husband was president. You can drop the R and say, I ain't away, no tired, and maybe some people will clap. But most African Americans looked at you and said, no, that's why you lost. The voter turnout for African Americans compared to Barack Obama for you was anemic. You want to blame white women sisters that you pander to with your Beyonce hot sauce in your purse. They didn't show up either. Kimmy Kimmel's in our hate tweets, a losing Republican viewers. I probably wouldn't want to have a conversation with them anyway. That's where he's gone. If you're a conservative and you watch him, shame on you. Z- Zelina Zito, narrow-minded commentary by Kimmel. Most Americans are willing to converse with someone who sees world differently than themselves, but the left can't anymore. Go to our last podcast. They want a civil war. George Lopez joins the hate tweets, was booed off stage after his anti-Trump comedy routine at a gala in Denver. It was a gala for children. Diabetes. This is what he said. Are you El Chapo people when they didn't laugh at this? We're told the flap began when Trump ba- ba- backer and Liberty Media CEO Greg Moffey donated 250000 but requested that Lopez cool it with anti-Trump jokes. 
An attendee at the event where tables were sold for 5000 to 100000 to benefit the Barbara Davis Center for Diabetes. George was asked nicely to stop making Trump jokes by a man in the front row who donated 250 But George doesn't, continues, gets booed off the freaking stage. And as he walks off the stage, he says, Thank you for changing my opinion on old white men, but it doesn't change the way I feel about orange men. Just stay fucking classy, liberals. Stay classy. Like Chelsea Handler. Every time I land in America, how much longer can these generals allow Trump to cause so much damage? 25th Amendment is there for a reason. The entire world trying to make her understand. That's a military coup, you fucking moron. And I know you guys like socialism, but that's just not the American way. The Beard tweeted her, every time you land in America, America loses 23 IQ points. <laughs> she then said, and I didn't make this up, and it pretty much sums up the hate-filled tolerance on the left. I'd like to play Scrabble with Trump without the right to use adjectives. And see who wins. Then they'd like to shove all the letters up his ass. Hypocrisy! To our hypocrisy of the day. A clip of MSNBC's Lauren O'Donnell blowing up at staff was widely mocked and NBC has reportedly taken action. One source said the video of Lawrence Donald was leaked on September 20th. The leaker was identified, confronted, and fired on September 26th. They fired him. Jim Treacher, NBC punished someone for exposing wrongdoing, but they don't print Weinstein stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. A great meme is all over the internet. It shows, I was petrified Gwyneth Paltrow with her arm around him, cuddling. His behavior was outrageous. Kate Beckinsale in a dancing pose with him. I kept saying no, Ashley Judd says, as she's holding his hand and looking cutesy. It was a nightmare, Asaya Argentino. Everyone knew five starlets giving him a kiss. I, I think that pretty much sums up the hypocrisy. And I know powerful people have power, but these same women, every one of them, dog conservatives for sexual harassment. So if you were sexually harassed and you let it go, and then you dog the world? That's just fucking hypocritical as shit. Michael Moore is being called a hypocrite. Actually, Harvey Weinstein is one of the best people to work with in this town. Let's use this moment to create world without Harvey's. My post on stopping abuse and ending white male hierarchy. Hmm. The Reagan Battalion. 
Michael Moore Flint is a fraud who's promoting Weinstein while countless women have been viciously abused by this monster. You can't hide now. American Infidel. This shows that Michael Flint enjoyed Weinstein fondling his breasts. <laughs> Sorry. I think that's pretty funny. Ron Howard came in. I have friends who rates have gone up, and I have a doctor friend who says many were covered who weren't before. Will Trump truly improve it? Somebody asked, where's your anti-Harvey Weinstein tweet? I don't see it anywhere. All of you Hollywood elites can't wait to bash Trump. Meanwhile, a known predator is one of you, and you all keep your mouth shut because he gets your movies made. Ron Howard's tweet, finally. Weinstein's a private citizen finally facing the consequences of action. Trump works for and must be held accountable to us as he reps the USA. That's a dodge where I come from. Hmm. Dan Turner, sexual predator, laugh out loud, only without the accusers, only one recent sitting president was a sexual predator. You helped elect him in 92. And that's actually really true. So shut the fuck up. Brian Seltzer brings light to the whole thing, though, and it's really hard for me to say that because I hate this fuck. There's a strange twist. Weinstein Company is slated to distribute Michael Moore's anti-Trump documentary, Fahrenheit 11.9. Mm-hmm. So that's why Moore's being so quiet because Weinstein and him got together to do an anti-Trump movie like his anti-Bush movie. Hey, Patrick, are you going to be in that one, too, since you were in the Michael Moore one? Yeah, I know you were in it. I saw you in your uniform. That was illegal, but that's okay. You you do you. Then the Independent ran how the teaching of Islam could help prevent more sexual abuse scandals. Let me read that again, because I had to read it twice to get it. How the teaching of Islam could help us prevent more sexual abuse scandals. Somebody said, is this the first verified parody account? And then European said, I'll let the victims of Rotherham know. I'll tell that to ladies of Sweden. Are they saying Harvey should have stoned the young actresses to death like they do in Pakistan? Said all Yazidi women. This is peak auto-trolling from the indie, a.k.a. sinking to the lowest level possible. People gave fewer pages to Weinstein than Roger Ailes this week. And that was where I found the article. And it's true. People Magazine gave less pages than they did to Ailes. Short little blurb about it. Ailes was the whole fucking article. On the front, a sexual harassment scandal rocks Hollywood in font six, top left corner. Yeah. Hmm. But it was front page spread. That's really nice. Simultaneously, networks were blasting Trump over end of subsidies to hide their illegality. And what does that mean? Remember, the const- it's constitutionally false that they could do this. The Democrats lied, pushed a frickin' bill through, had illegal, unfunded, unapproved, not voted on subsidies that were never financed to make this work. And it still didn't work. And that's why it's not working. Because poor people have to be dirt poor to even get Obamacare. And then they're getting financed for everything through you and I taxes. 
media never covered it once. Not one goddamn time. So that's our beautiful, beautiful first part to hypocrisy. Here's our audio parts. ABC and NBC, Trump is killing the poor by ending subsidies that were unconstitutional. Oh, wait a minute. I added that in. TV One, Trump wants black people eliminated. Van Jones goes, wait a minute, hold my beer. Trump wants all Americans to die. Okay. SNL does a skit on Conway with the it clown. And I'm just saying it would be so sexist if a conservative network, a Breitbart or Blaze TV did this shit. Sweet fucking Lord. The outrage. CNN once again says Castile was killed by a white cop. Sad to say there is no white Hispanic. You can try. It's not a classification. And Obama signed a law about opioids, but somehow CBS forgot that, and they're blaming the GOP. Enjoy. Hanging in the balance tonight, the roughly 7 million Americans who make too much to qualify for Medicaid but still need help paying for coverage. Americans like Marcy Shelton, a retiree in Nevada who leans on these subsidies to afford her coverage. If it gets too high, I'm afraid that I'm just not going to be able to afford it at all, and that's terrifying. In Iowa, programmer Mason McCoy says he can barely afford the subsidized plan he has now. It's nothing more than another assault on poor people. Baltimore graduate student Jess Wilhelm, who suffers from chronic asthma, has Obamacare and worries his premiums will skyrocket. My biggest concern is losing the subsidies in the next year and potentially having premiums go up. Now, insurance premiums are likely to go through the roof to make up the difference, jumping by as much as 20%, according to the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office. Middle-class customers like Marcy Shelton, a retiree in Nevada, would likely feel the brunt of this. If it gets too high... I'm afraid that I'm just not going to be able to afford it at all, and that's terrifying. Barack Obama constantly had to prove to the American people that he was just not the president of black America. He was president of the entire United States. Donald Trump is not doing that. He's got got a very small constituency. Uh, But my question to you is, when, if ever, does that constituency wake up and say that the policies of the man that they brought into the presidency are harming them? I think, um, and I've said this before, white America has typically voted against its best interests. Um, and that goes with Donald Trump, too. I think they are um, willing to sacrifice their access to life-saving care in order to support him. And, um, well, I, I, we talk a lot about fascism, but let's also talk about eugenics, right. which is the betterment of the race led by white supremacy to basically move poor people, people of color, um, to eliminate us. This attack on health care is a piece of eugenics. Um, not naming Puerto Rico as U.S. citizen is eugenics. Um, trying to de- deport families and separate families um, is eugenics. Um, so I think a lot of the people who have willingly put this person in office are willing to forego their access to basic health care and clean air in order to annihilate, <laughs> like eliminate a group of people that are U.S. citizens because of racism in this country. So, so Brandon, let me ask you: Do what's the what's going to be the the nail in the coffin when people wake up? And again, these are this is the president's constituency when they wake up and look around and realize that it is not Black Americans, it is not Latinas or Latinos, it is not women 
who are responsible for the plight that they find themselves in. It is the education system and it is politicians who look at them as being ignorant. Mm -hmm. what, what, when do they wake up and see that, that that's, that's the real situation here and that their racism and sexism and, you know, and anti-Muslim beliefs are, are really what's destroying the, themselves, their communities and the fabric of the country? Yeah, disconnect is real and I, you know, when that will happen, I don't know. I think it's, you know, it didn't start in November 2017. I mean, 2016, this disconnect is going to be long here after Trump leaves. The left is fighting Obamacare. The right is fighting Obamacare. And Americans have told Republicans, please save us from Obamacare. Listen, I, I've, I've never seen a president of the United States willing to hurt Americans to get his way. Will, will to have Americans be sick? Will it have Americans you know, possibly lose their lives, watch their children with, with conditions because he wants to get his way? I haven't seen that before. I agree with you that our health care system needs to, needs to continue to be improved and changed. I support the progressive cause. I'm willing to listen to actual conservative ideas, but I'm not willing to... But you to think the president wants to, to kill Americans? No, I didn't say that. You said that. I'm not willing, George, to see a president of the United States actually put Americans at risk just to get his way. Do the Republicans now own the health care issue? Sure. You, bro you broke it, you own it. And this is part of the problem. See, with all due respect, Matt, he's not doing what he said. You know, what he's doing is he's sowing confusion, raising pain, and shifting the blame. They know what you're seeing now is not repeal, it's not replace, it's not even fixing. It's designed specifically to sabotage Obamacare so that, what, you can force the Democrats to the table. But the problem is that we're finding out that the guy who wrote The Art of the Deal is terrible at this. He's a terrible negotiator. He doesn't understand policy. He doesn't understand the legislative process. After Senator Corker tweeted that the president was leading us on a path to World War III, White House advisor Kellyanne Conway called those tweets, quote, incredibly irresponsible. This woman does know that she works for President Donald Trump, right? What more can I say? I'm Anderson Cooper. Good night. And we're out. Here's the rundown for tomorrow. Okay. Do we have anybody for the uh, third slot yet? Well, I know Kellyanne has been making the rounds. Were that desperate? It's me, Kellyanne Conway. <laughs> but you can call me Kellywa. It's Kellywa is the dancing clown. <laughs> it's Kellyanne. What'd you do to your makeup? I turned it down. <laughs> Put me on TV. I have to go. Wait, uh, don't go. Don't you want a coat? No. I'll give you a coat. I'll give you a crazy, crazy coat. How about this? Okay, so Puerto Rico actually was worse before Hurricane Maria, and the hurricane actually did blow some buildings back together. And I don't know why Elizabeth Warren won't tweet about that. That's insane. I know. Do you want another one? No, shut up. Okay, so Secretary Tillerson did not call the president a moron. They were sharing a Sunday, and the president asked if he wanted more sprinkles. And the secretary said, moron. Are you hooked? Put on TV. Hey, don't talk to her. Every day she drags somebody into that sewer down there where the duties are. Y'all believe me? Yesterday she got Rachel mad out. You'll float too, Anderson. <laughs> Rachel? Come on, Goofy. 
We need each other to survive. That's a lie. Put me on TV, or I'll have to show you your greatest fear. I'm not scared of anything. No. Anderson Cooper. <laughs> it's good to see you. Hiller, is that you? It's me. I'm down in the sewer. Where did you think I'd be? Michigan or Wisconsin? <laughs> hey, Anderson, would you help me out? No, this is a trick. No, it's not a trick. It's me, Hillary Rodham Clinton. Here, uh, if you come down, I'll give you a copy of my book, What Happened, by me, Hillary Rodham Clinton. Go on. Take it. Take it. Oh, oh, oh. oh damn. Oh, crap. Anderson, are you okay? Oh, my God, was I asleep? Yeah, we're back on in five. Are you sure you're okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm fine. I just, uh... Haven't been sleeping. Hey, stranger. Thank you for booking me. It's good to be back. Let's give him a good show. Right, Koopy? Kellyanne? The Russians not only exploited divisive racial issues in the U.S., CNN has learned Don't Shoot Us was operating almost a rapid response to those shootings. In Minnesota last July, the day after Philando Castile was killed by a white police officer, Don't Shoot Us was using social media to organize its own protest. The effort failed because local community members determined something was wrong. Turns out they were right, and their suspicions had Russian links. Good morning. This bill was sold here on Capitol Hill as a way to ensure that patients had access to pain medication. But former DEA officials say that it actually stripped their agency of its ability to go after suspicious shipments. For example, when one town of 400 people in West Virginia got 9 million hydrocodone pills over just two years. Now, as Bill Whitaker mentioned, Pennsylvania's Tom Marino and Tennessee's Marsha Blackburn introduced this bill back in 2015. Well, each of them received significant contributions that year from the pharmaceutical industry. More than $70,000 for Marino, more than $160,000 for Marsha Blackburn, and $177,000 went to Utah Senator Orrin Hatch, who negotiated this bill with the DEA. It ended up passing with unanimous consent and signed by President Obama. Former administration officials, some of them now say they didn't realize how much this one bill would change. Sweet God, the media's out of control. Last minute entries before we go into our stats today without a bumper. Joy Behar, don't attack comedians. We're important people right now. Stephen Miller, comedians are important people right now for the past eight years, but we're important now. Okay, they're important. Can't touch them. Guys, they're Americans' moral conscience. That was tweeted by Pradheep Shanker, which makes me bring to the point as we segue into stats of the day. When all of a sudden are these late-night comedy people our moral conscience? Oh, I know, because as we'll find in our one segment today, Anybody who bashes Trump is now somebody the media goes, look at that guy. 
He's a good dude. Uh, three years ago, Jimmy Kimmel wasn't even covered on the news. Now he's a fucking moral conscience of America. All these people are in the club. They're cool people now. They're getting invites to the top tier Hollywood shit. Clooney's coming out and ring knocking with them. Another meme that went around for our stats today is about the NFL. Remember back when they used to dance in the end zone and now they show players burning the flag. It's not going away. We got some good stats on it, but let's get to more important shit in our stats. A legal alien accused of murdering 18 year old student was a DACA recipient. A man accused of killing a South Carolina high school student has been protected from deportation under DACA. U.S. officials confirmed Fox News Thursday evening. Daniel DeJesus Wrangler Scherer, 19, is accused of murder, kidnapping, and possession of a weapon during a violent crime in connection with the death of 18-year-old Diana Martinez-Gonzalez. Gonzalez, a junior at Greenville High School, was found dead in a wooded area October 4th. Official shed she'd been forced in the woods and shot multiple times in the head. Immediately upon contact, he confessed to one of the deputies. Investigators said a friend of Martinez Gonzalez was also held against her will by the suspect, but she managed to escape and contact authorities. It's not clear how Wrangle Scherer and Martinez Gonzalez knew each other. Huh. Kind of reminds me of that John Gibson segment. All these people they say are so important. We don't even track the crimes. Liberals won't let you track the climbs. Interesting. U.S. immigration population hits record, wait for it, 60 million. 60. In the time of Obama, it has gone from 31 million to 60 million. Yes. That's how much. Thank you, Obama. The nation's immigrant population, legal and illegal, hit a record 43.7 in July 2016, an increase of half a million since 2015, 3.8 million since 2010, and 12.6 since 2000. As a share of the U.S. population, immigrants, legal and illegal, comprised 13.5%, or one out of eight U.S. residents in 2016, the highest percentage in 106 years. As recent as 1980, just one out of 16 residents was foreign-born. Between 2010 and 2016, 8.1 million, that's all Obama, new immigrants settled in the United States. New arrivals are offset by the roughly 300,000 immigrants returned home. In addition to immigrants, there were slightly more than 16.6 million U.S.-born minor children with an immigrant parent, 2016, for a total of 60.4 million immigrants and their children in the country. Immigrants and their minor children now account for nearly one in five U.S. residents. Mexican immigrants, legal and illegal, were by far the largest foreign-born population in the country in 2016. Mexico is the top sending country with 1.1 million new immigrants arriving from Mexico between 2010 and 2016, or one out of eight new arrivals. However, because of the return migration and natural mortality among the existing population, the overall Mexican-born population has not grown in the last six years. The states with the largest number of increases between 2010 and 16 were Texas, up 
587k, Florida 578k, California 527, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Washington State, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Maryland, Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, Michigan, Minnesota, North Carolina. Do the math on why. Yeah, they're Democrats. Majority of them are Democrat-run states. The part of Texas that takes the most in is the southern part. It's liberal. Florida, turning liberal. California, liberal. New York, liberal. Jersey, liberal. Massachusetts, Washington, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Maryland, liberal. It's out of control. 60 million Americans now are here. And they're considered Americans by the left. Real Americans. The net spent most time bashing gun rights. 30 minutes and 17 seconds on anti-gun rights. No bump stocks. 6 minutes 27 seconds on pro-gun rights. 28 minutes and 30 seconds regulate bump stocks. 1 minute 45 seconds don't regulate. So all the ABC, NBC, and CBS spent a mere eight minutes and a few odd seconds saying we shouldn't do all of the above. Mm-mm. Yeah. But there's no media bias. Don't worry about it. Al Michaels, I was going to play it. I'm not going to play it, but he made a cringeworthy Harvey joke the other day. Al Michaels making a Harvey Weinstein joke that didn't go over very well. Yes, Al Michaels believes in miracles and apparently also believes sexual harassment and abuse, something you joke about. Sunday night's primetime matchup between the New York Giants and Denver Broncos saw a regrettable moment of commentary. He basically said that the Giants are struggling as bad as Harvey Weinstein. That's the gist. Michael later offered an on-air apology. Sorry I made a reference earlier before. I tried to be, be a little flip about something obviously very much the news and all over the country. I was not meant in that manner. So my apologies and we'll just leave it at that. Weinstein is so bad, he's already a punchline. That's pretty bad. Backlash 6 Week six of the NFL reveals more empty stadiums. Jets played New England on Sunday, meaning there should have been a big crowd. The picture is anemic. Texans, Atlanta, Baltimore are also very relevant teams with relatively loyal fan base, yet thousands upon thousands of fans no-showed or didn't buy tickets for those games. Jacksonville never really plays in a packed out, yet to Jacksonville standards, that's empty. In fact, that those same levels of emptiness can be seen at other stadiums throughout the league means that fan backlash against the NFL has now turned everyone into Jacksonville. The only one I don't think we'll see any downfall, even without Aaron Rodgers, is the Packers, because they're all obsessed and the beer's good there and it's cheap. CBS earnings to disappoint due to weak NFL ratings. Credit Seuss cut its third quarter EPS estimate on CBS by 5%, citing the company company's softer Sunday NFL ratings. The firm's new estimate is 1.8, below the Wall Street consensus, consensus estimate of 1.12. Credit Suisse maintained its outperform rating on CBS shares. Yeah. 
Sheik maintained the outperform rating of price target on CBS shares, which remained at $75 at 32% upside from Friday's close. He cut his third quarter EPS estimate to 108 because it's going down and they're not getting better. The stock has underperformed this year, falling nearly 11% since January and nearly 3% in the past month. As of Monday, CBS is down 0.2%. But people are banking on stuff like this. They believe America's liberal and they want these causes. Delta is about to get in the hurt locker. Hey, my name is Pam Godry. I am a physician, and um, I am the wife of a deceased Navy captain, and not who died in the line of duty. And he gave 20 years of his life to the Navy. Um, I just did the most uncourageous thing in my life today. And I'm sharing it. And I hope that somehow it gets to people all around and even the president. So I was on a flight from Philadelphia to Atlanta today. And we had a deceased soldier who was also accompanied by his best friend. Um, a man in uniform and the captain came on and asked if we would all remain seated while the soldier got off the plane first and while the honor guard took the deceased soldier out of the plane which was great I had an idea it was just one of those um, spontaneous ideas that it would be so neat when this soldier stood up and while the honor guard was going off, taking him off, that we should sing the national anthem. And so I went around to each seat and I asked if people felt comfortable doing it, if they would join me. And most people were thrilled out of their minds and several women cried and said, you know, that's so beautiful. And, and I had so many people come up to me and say, you know, we should make a habit of this and this would be great. And you know, it's a great honor to the boy's parents um, and wife and perhaps children. Um, anyway, I went to every seat, and some people said fine, and others didn't want to do it, which was fine. I just said whatever you feel comfortable doing. And um, after I sat back down, it, it, it was apparent that the plane was starting to descend. And the chief flight attendant came up to my seat, and she kneeled down, and she said, uh, it is against company policy to do what you're doing. And I said, the, the national anthem? And there's a soldier on board? And she said, yes, you cannot sing the national anthem. It is against your company your policy. And please maintain control of your bags at all times. I said, well, I just told every single person on this plane that we were going to do it. Are you going to tell them not to? Because I'm not. I'm not going around and telling them not to sing. 
Um, but they did make an announcement that we were to stay quietly in our seats and be very quiet. And um, she did not tell the rest of the plane that this singing the national anthem for this soldier was against company policy. Um, she told me that several of the people on the plane were from other countries and that they were uncomfortable with us singing the national anthem. So the soldier got up, they whisked him out very quickly, which I assumed would happen when word got out to the flight crew that we were going to do this. And we all sat in silence as the honor guard took the soldier off the plane. I was a little scared that I would be taken away by, I didn't know what would happen to me if I started singing, but I'm humiliated by my lack of courage to sing the national anthem in my own country on American soil. with a deceased soldier on the plane. I wish I could have been an example for my children. Uh, I'm glad my husband, my former husband, is, is deceased because he would have been profoundly disappointed in me. And I can tell you that um, having been in Vietnam and saved a lot of people's lives there, um, he would have been horribly disappointed in me. So, I just wanted people to know that this happened. Obviously, I'm still in the airport and um, disheveled because I've been flying all day and emotional because this happened. Um, many people on the plane were upset and they said, all we can do is pray. All we can do is pray that this will be, that this kind of thing doesn't continue to happen. I wish I had had more courage to start singing. It's too late now. I know a lot of people were upset that it didn't happen, and I guess some people were happy. So hopefully this will get shared around the country and people will know that it is the policy of Delta to um, not be able to sing the national anthem on one of their planes. I guess that's all I got to say. Y'all have a great rest of the weekend. So let's surmise that. The attendant said it might offend people from other countries. The moment this broke, it went viral, because it did, liberals. Sorry to hurt your feelings. People actually care about the anthem. They were tap dancing. They're saying we respect our soldiers. We respect the coming home services for the soldiers. We respect the flag. We're looking into it. Oh, my God, we're fucked. But at the time of this airing, I have no answer from them why they did this. They're trying to get with the person to ask them why they would be that fucking stupid. As this was circulating 
And I looked up Anthem to make sure this thing was actually trending. So I got it from an article. And it was. There was a picture of roofers. Viral. Standing for the National Anthem at the Old Town Waterville football game today. And from behind the stands we hear, hey look, they aren't kneeling. When I turn to see who said it, this is what I saw. Three men roofing a house and respecting the flag. You keep betting against the doggone patriotism of America. And I'm sorry, blue, red, in the middle of this country, the flag means something. It's only those clusters of your little liberal bubbles on the coast where you hate the American flag. And, of course, Antifa and Hillary, because their convention didn't have it. I, I guess a part, a large part of the Democratic platform is fuck America. But, you know, the people here that do vote for you, Democrats, mm. Yeah, they're not playing your game. These are stats you're not going to hear in the media. And we covered them off and on, but this is a new article with updated stats. 118 law enforcement officers died in the line of duty in 2016. 57,180 assaulted. 57,180 assaulted. 118 killed. That's from the FBI, not from Breibart, not from Faux News, not from Rush Limbaugh. This was up 37% from the 86 who died in 2015. In 2016, 66 of the 118 deaths of law enforcement officials were felonious and 52 were accidental. In 2015, 41 of the 86 deaths of law enforcement were felonious 45 were accidental. Another 57,180 officers were assaulted in the line of duty in 2016. And 16,535, or about 29%, sustained injuries from those assaults. All these numbers increased from figures reported in 2015 when 45 officers died, 41 were felonious and killed in the line of duty, the FBI said. A total of 50,212 assaults were reported in 2015. Of the 66 officers killed by criminal acts, 62 of the 66 were killed by firearms. 51 were wearing body armor at the time they were killed. Four were killed intentionally with vehicles. 17 were killed in ambushes. 13 were killed answering disturbance calls. And 9 were killed investigating suspicious people or circumstances. Of the 52 officers who were killed in accidents in 2016, 26 were killed in auto accidents. 12 were struck by vehicles and 7 died in motorcycle accidents. In a statement, Attorney General Jeff Session called the increase unacceptable. Every law enforcement officer goes to work knowing that today might be his last his or her last, but last year we saw a staggeringly 61% increase in the number of law enforcement officers killed in the line of duty because of felony. Folks, BLM's full of shit. That's more people than your media ever wants you to know. But we're still jerking off with the knee protest. And the Democratic platform is still Black Lives Matter. Interesting. To music break. And our first segment, Salon. The 25 conservatives actually worth following on Twitter. Oh my God, there's a theme to this.
Back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. You're the podcast man. And that was Volbeat with Black Rose. One of my wife's favorite songs. I really don't like that one. I like the other one she's been doing. Pretty doggone good. So, I saw that this week. And, you know, I posted. I was going to try to get in the last podcast, but we went long. 
It starts with liberals in shock over the 2016 election were prescribed a heavy dose of reality. Get out of your bubble, the doctor noted. It was hard truth for the American left. They found out the U.S. was not as progressive as originally thought. Their steady diet of MSDNC and left-wing op-eds only reinforced biases and preconceived beliefs. The country's actual collective tilt wholly evaded them. So they go on to say, these are the people you need to read who are conservative so you can understand those evil people that you don't want to talk to ever, but you can read their tweets and then disparage them. I guess that's the point. Kilgore Trout, Trump treats a couple guys quietly kneeling as more of a life and death crisis than treats actual life and death crisis in Puerto Rico. That's just one of many that guy just doesn't like Trump. I've read him. Atticus Goldfinch. Atticus Goldfinch refers himself as reform conservative. He's a critic who recognized the virus pervading right-wing politics, also known as conservative media. Most recently led the charge against the Daily Wire satirical video on Columbus Day. Yeah. He's a Joe Scarborough dead guy. That's where he goes. Not reading him. Tim Carson. A Christian first, a conservative second. Tim Carson prefers to let his religious beliefs guide his principles, unlike some other high-profile conservatives. Let that sit for a second. Religious beliefs. Something you mock mercilessly, Salon, that people believe in fake shit. But now, because he hates Trump, you like him. Okay. Carlson has been an active voice on issues of race and inequality and has appropriately combated the white nationalist movements. One of his tweets, If conservatism now means denigrating the acts of brave African American fighting for equality, then I'm no longer conservative, period. Hmm. None of their examples, of course, are going to be anything pro-conservative, so just bear with me. And a Navarro, I'm not saying a word. Richard W. Painter, the Trump administration has been a blessing or perhaps a curse for a lawyer specializing in ethics. This guy is an anti-Trumper, and he's always talking about his ethics, and he's brought on all the time to say that Trump is not ethical. Jennifer Rubin. She was one time a conservative blogger for Washington Post. But if you're a conservative blogger for Washington Post, you're a left-leaning independent. You're not a real conservative. She's never been a real conservative. For fuck's sake. She's always on MSDNC and CNN dogging conservatives before Trump came around. So shut up. Ben Ho. How? Don't know. H-O-W-E. 2017 must be strange times with Ben Ho, a conservative writer at Red State. Ho was one of the most notable never-Trumpers. I ain't read anything else. Brant, pseudonym, Urban Achiever. Brant, like Goldfinch, moonlights his critics of right-wing media. He's particularly adept at holding ultra-conservative website The Federalist feet to fire. We read a lot for The Federalist, and I don't think they're saying anything that's extreme, but that tells you where Brant is. Ken White, a lawyer who respects the Constitution more than politicians, while White is a strong Trump detractor, he also fairly criticized liberal whenever he believes they have lost their way. White, commonly known as Pope Hat, is a loyal advocate of free speech and does not think highly of campus protests that strive to shut down conservative commentary. In short, he provides needed perspective for some liberals. Even though White is not an apologist of the left, he does enjoy his first minute rights by ridiculing Trump and his supporters. Oh, 
Okay. Haley Bird, a congressional reporter for the Independent Journal Review. Haley Bird's Twitter game ranks up there with the best of them. When she's not tracking down members of Congress, she's actually cracking jokes on everybody's favorite social media platform. I've read her. I never in a million were, were, I never in a million years thought she was a conservative. Josh Jordan has written for the National Review, clear, real clear politics, but his best outlet has been Twitter. The conservative is no fan of liberalism or Trump, but fortunately for liberals, he directs much of his ire at the president. See? Bill Crystal. I'm not saying anything. He fucking hates Trumps. John Weaver was a strategist for John McCain and John Kasich. I stop reading. Tom Nichols, a military scholar at the Naval War College and Harvard Extension. He authored a book called The Death of Expertise, which has become increasingly relevant this past year. From a national security perspective, Nichols has been all over Trump. Tom Nichols. Jokes aside, this is why I wrote predictably of POTUS tweets as one of the things that makes him dangerous. Allah Pundit, who we do cover on the show has been a staple in political blogging for years. John Stewart notoriously relied on him for his analysis and commentary for The Daily Show. While Alla Pundit shares most of his opinions in the blog at Hot Air, he does from time to time strike gold on Twitter. Giving Trump 280 characters to play with is practically begging for an international incident. Cat Timpf. She's on Red Eye a lot. And the, well, I guess Red Eye, yeah, it still exists. And he's, she's on the fucking, uh, What's his name show on Fox? Fox News host Kat Temp wears her libertarian on her sleeve. The pundit also gives Fox viewers an even-handed look at the state of politics. This is the tweet they got. The sentiment is disturbing to me. What if Obama said something like this about conservative media? You'd be okay with it? Stuart Stevens. Stuart Stevens advisor for Mitt Romney and now serves as a political consultant. He's largely recognized as one of the most influential conservatives on Twitter. Like the rest of the conservatives on this list, he keeps a close eye on Trump and swiftly denounces him whenever he slips up. So far this week, POTUS has attacked NFL, POW war hero, American hurricane victims, First Amendment, his own cabinet, and his political party. I should have stopped reading at Mitt Romney. Noah Rothman. Not saying a word. He's a liberal. Jay Caruso. Jay Caruso is not tweeting about the Second Amendment. Liberals will find his opinion platable. The editorial writer for the Dallas Morning News is obviously conservative, but he does not allow that to affect his judgment for Trump. Hannity would have had three weeks of spittle-fleck rage shows if Obama said about Fox News what Trump said about NBC. Rick Wilson is a media specialist for the Republicans and a columnist for the Daily Beast. That's all I need to say. Daily Beast. S.E. Cup. The only one on here I actually respect. I think she's more of a libertarian than a conservative. The host S.E. Cup unfiltered on HNHLN. S.E. Cup is a conservative commentator. Been named for herself during the 2016 election. Cup does not hide her partisanship on Twitter, but she does hide. She does not. She does not hide her partisanship and she does not hide her loathing of Trump. What's amazing is that Trump actually thinks that his illiberal Attempt at forcing patriotism somehow makes him the patriot. John Podoritz, conservative columnist from New York Post, editor of Commentary Magazine. John Podoritz could be ornery for sure, but he's admittedly very smart and hosts a great podcast with Robin and A. Greenwald. He's also not bad at Twitter. Of course, dogging Trump. David Frum, dogging Trump. Hasn't been a conservative lately. Shut the fuck up. Stephen Hayes, editor-in-chief of Conservative Magazine. Breaking. Trump routinely just makes stuff up. He doesn't like 
Trump. So Essie Cup, to show you why I like her, and I've liked her for a long time. I think she's pretty straight up. I think she's like me. She'll dog Trump when it's needed, but she doesn't run around just making a habit out of it. I think also in the respect that there are, are certain taboos that I will speak up about, but I don't cover all the things Trump does every day and dog it. And some people will say, because you're a Trumper. No. If that's what you want to listen to, just turn on your TV. There's plenty of podcasts, plenty of goddamn TV shows that are all day long Trump's Satan. There's very few that are actually, hey, look at the people calling him Satan. Look at what they do. We don't have that in our media. Most of right-wing radio is literally Trump's God. Yeah, you don't need that either. So she responded to this. Thanks, but who wants to be included in a list that only feigns respect for conservatives because we disagree with Trump? Kyle Beckley. Salon could create a comprehensive list of people named Kyle Beakley, and I'd be, or Beckley, I'm sorry, I read that wrong, and I'd be ashamed because they included me on their list. Over the weekend, liberal online magazine Salon put out a highly mockable list of their top 25 conservative actual worth falling on Twitter. This is a story about it. Story made a splash on social media because it seems Salon only criteria was never Trumper. What didn't count, actually being a smart, thoughtful commentator on conservative ideas and a warrior against the liberal media. Salon's list is so out of touch with what a conservative is that they even included virtual anti-conservative commentators, Navarro and Rubin. I'm reading this for confirmation of my opinion. And hopefully you agree with me. Taylor Link, assistant editor of Salon, induced his article touting it would help liberals get out of their bubble. If they followed these 25 conservatives to make things more palatable, Link notes the conservatives not only disliked Trump, but also were ideologically introspective, which was to be a euphemism for they attacked their own side. Link began his list by recommending several anonymous Twitter accounts that used pseudonyms and examples of conservative warriors, keyboard conservatives who are so courageous they can't even use their real names. Apparently, apparently, of one a user called Brant Urban Achiever, link glowing notes, he frankly goes after his fellow conservatives. Beyond his condemnation of the Federalists, Brant takes shots at his fellow conservatives, especially those who do not apply their beliefs uniformly. Isn't afraid to call President a fascist. How brave. Another one, Atticus Goldfish, goes after the real virus pervading right-wing politics, conservative media before embedding a series of tweets loaded with profanity-filled rants against Ben Shapiro. Next, it was time to move on to the conservatives of the mainstream media, i.e. never-Trumpers whose main role is to bash the right. First up was the CNN commentator Anna Navarro, whose salon link notes isn't afraid to attack those who don't practice what they preach. Nearly every week, Navarro appears on television as a foil to CNN's actual conservative guest to engage in an unhinged shouting match. Navarro is known more for her nasty, anti-conservative rants and immature name-calling than she is for promoting any sort of conservatism. Salas also concluded frequent MSDNC contributor Richard Painter, who has attacked Christian conservatives as racist. Washington's Jennifer, Washington Post Jennifer Rubin of Rubin's link right, she's 
a noted conservative blogger who gives a nuanced look at the issues of the day, which is laughable because everything she writes sounds like it could have been written by any liberal in the media today, which is totally true. Some other highlights from the list includes Mike Kane and Casey's strategic John, a strategist, John Weaver, the only Republican who fought for an, an, and defended the Affordable Care Act, who's obviously discussed with the president made him a must follow for liberals. And that was just a handful of the fake conservatives who made the list. Of course, this didn't go over so well with actual conservatives. Columnist Kurt Schilster rightly noted that the left-wing media doesn't seem to understand what a conservative is, and to make this list, they either view you as non-threatening or, at worst, a convert liberal. Writing at Town Hall, he noted, getting named to Salon's list of 25 conservatives actually worth following on Twitter is either a grievous insult or a certification that you suck. Salon is saying that you're not a carrier of the hardcore conservative contagion and that the liberal establishment doesn't need to worry. At best, Salon thinks you're no threat. At worst, it considers you a fellow traveler. And some of these selectees really are straight up freedacons, which I don't know what that is. You know what you won't find in the major papers of the mainstream networks besides timely exposés of Democratic mega-donors who are also mega-perverts, conservative columnists who don't foam at the mouth over Donald Trump and who actually support conservative policies. Instead, you'll find a bunch of journalistic jebs because the liberal hiring them know that squishes gonna squish. Look, far be it for me to tell my enemy when it's making a mistake, but because the media only hires nominal conservatives who already agree with liberals, liberals have no idea why what real conservatives think. And that is straight up preaching the truth. Jim Hansen decided to make his own. Salon created a top of a list of top conservatives to follow on Twitter. Unsurprisingly, not many conservatives, mostly Trump haters. So I have an alternative top 10 conservatives on Twitter. You better not piss off in no particular order. Kurt Schilster, a retired Army officer and current loyal. He'll beat you verbally or in court. Sebastian Gorka, still delivering the baritone beatdowns. Ben Shapiro, pint science provocateur who specializes in liberal tear production. Michelle Malkin, a grand dame of the conservative movement and online media visionary. Judicial Watch. Tim Fitton will foyer your corrupt butt in an artificial heartbeat. Yes, Nick Searcy, deep behind enemy lines on a mission to blow up the liberal entertainment monopoly. Tim Kennedy, MMA, former Special Forces MMA cage fighter. You wouldn't like him when he's angry. He also works for Ranger Up, which we play on the show. Jesse Jane Duff, former Marine gunnery sergeant and current smartly savage analyst. Red States, this guy has been so wickedly good for so long, I can't believe he writes, he doesn't write for major networks or major publications. Uncle Jumbo, you didn't think I'd leave me off. I've been crushing liberals online since the internet was a glimmer in Al Gore's eye. There you have it. There are many more doing the good work of fighting back against PC grievance mongers, but these bring the pain. I'm sorry. He's right. I follow every one of those people on Twitter. And I follow most of Twitter, which is all liberal. Of my 17, 1800 follows, I would say 1200 of them are liberal. They're just straight up liberal. That's all Twitter is. So, 
you want to follow those people, go ahead. I thought it was very interesting because you would never see Fox News put out an article, liberals you should follow, because nobody needs that article because we have to follow those liberals whether we want to or not. Twitter shoves it in your feed. I get shit. I got shit from Lauren Duca for every know who Lauren Duca was. She was just there every day. Before we go into new social media nuggets, I wanted to cover this. This was a thread that I saw that I love because a pro-life woman shredded this guy. And it's on abortion. And I, I thought it was worth reading. Patrick J. Tomlinson. Whenever abortion comes up, I have a question I've been asked for 10 years now. The life begins a conception crowd. In 10 years, no one has ever answered it honestly. It's a simple scenario with two outcomes. No one ever wants to pick one because the correct answer destroys their arguments. And there is a correct answer, which is why the pro-life crowd hates the question. Yeah, this guy's totally abort the baby when it takes its first breath. Here it is. You're in a fertility clinic. Why isn't, why isn't important? The fire alarm goes off. You run for the exit and you run down this hallway. You hear a child screaming behind a door. You throw open the door and find a five-year-old child crying for help. There is one corner of the room. In the other corner, you spot a frozen container labeled 100,000 viable human embryos. The smoke is rising. You start to choke. You know you can grab one or the other, but not both, before you succumb to smoke inhalation and die, saving no one. A, do you save the child? B, Save the thousand embryos. There is no C. C means you all die. In a decade of arguing with anti-abortion people about the definition of human life, I've never gotten a single strain A, B answer to this question. And I never will. They will never answer honestly because we all instinctively understand the right answer is A. A human child is worth more than a thousand embryos or ten thousand or a million because they are not the same. Not morally, not ethically, not biologically. This question absolutely eviscerates their arguments, and the refusal to answer confirms that they know it to be true. No one anywhere actually believes an embryo is equivalent to a child. That person does not exist. They are lying to you. They are lying to you to evoke an emotional response, a paternal response using false equivalency. No one believes life begins at conception. No one believes embryos or babies or children. Those who claim to are trying to manipulate you so they can control women. Don't let them. Use this question to call them out. Reveal them for what they are. Demand they answer your question. And when they don't, slap them big old scarlet P on the patriarchy on them. This, this guy is such a douche. Thank you to everyone in the comments twisting in the wind to find a way to avoid answering the question. Just as I said you would, your help providing my point is proving my point is greatly appreciated. Then Kimberly Ross went in. Patrick's false dilemma isn't worth answering. He's already made up his mind. To him, a thousand frozen embryos or one life in the womb has the same meaning. Nothing. No matter what we say, he'll brand us a hypocrite. Life does indeed begin at conception. And his straw man attempting at tricking us, weak as it is, does not change the fact Patrick would gleefully support the destruction of 1,000 embryos. That says more about him than it does at us. I feel sad for someone so bloodthirsty in his love for murdering the unborn. 100% spot on. Because that 
my friends, is what it's all about. And their zeal to push abortion at any means necessary, any timeline, and you pay for it, they make these straw man jerk off questions about how you have to save everything or you're a liar. Most of America believes it's a baby after 20 weeks, my friend. That's the argument the left can't win. So I say this woman did a valiant job, but I would have shoved right back at him. Now here's your question. Tell me how you truly believe a baby in the womb at 20 weeks is not a baby. When you can ultrasound it and see it, it is a baby. It has a heartbeat. It has everything. And you say it should be killed. Now answer why at nine months you believe it should be killed other than the life of the mother. Answer that question. Because you believe it's not a human until it takes a first breath. Yet preemies are born all the time at 22, 23, 24 weeks and they live. So that's my question to the left. Why they try to moralize and tell people don't care and it's all fucking bullshit. It's the patriarchy and all this bullshit. Nobody in the media, nobody ever sticks it to them. Tell me why you truly believe killing a baby at eight months in the womb is the right answer. Not for health of the baby, not for health of the mother, not rape, not incest. Take all that bullshit out. Because if you were raped or incest, you would have made that decision a lot longer before eight months. Why? Do you think it's okay? And they'll never answer it. Never answer it, which is kind of like answer it. Let's go to news and social media nuggets. Stop. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. game on campus these days and they call it pc pc politically correct and it's not just politics it's everything it's what you eat it's what you wear and it's what you say if you don't watch yourself you can get in a buttload of trouble for instance right see these girls yeah no you don't those are women you call them girls and they'll pop your figs save the whales gays in the military now 
Military corner without a bump. Marine who, who lost both legs in Afghanistan is running 31 marathons in 31 days. Rob Jones, a Marine combat veteran and WMT, took a break from running after his fourth marathon in as many days on October 15th. But he wanted to explain what kept him going. When a veteran comes home and they're wounded, whether psychologically or mentally or physically, that doesn't mean they're not, that they're now disabled, broken, or incapable of contributing to society, Jones told the Boston Globe. Four marathons down, 27 to go. A 32-year-old vet of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, Jones is running 31 marathons in 31 days to raise money for veterans' charities, and he's doing it on two prosthetic limbs. In 2010, while serving as a combat engineer in Helmand Province in Afghanistan, Jones lost both legs above the knee when an improvised explosive detonated under his feet. What... An incredible guy. It'll be 806 miles when he's done. I don't even jog to the refrigerator. I am such a fucking useless fat slob. I've never loved anything so selflessly. A Paris Island Marine remembers a bulldog. I was actually standing at one of the battalion formations and the dog handler... The, the dog handler prior to me, I guess Legend just got off the leash and he started running at me. And then I was just giving him love. And that's what she told me. She was like, he chose you. You're the next one. Much to my surprise, I was chosen months later. And over the summer, he actually ran away from me. I was getting ready to go on a date. So I actually looked like a woman for one second he gets out, crawls under a fence to this trailer park, and then I have to crawl under the fence. I climb over bushes, get chased by like 30 chickens, and I found Legend swimming in the ocean pretty much. <laughs> and then I had a, I was just a mess. <laughs> to the crazy, alt-left insanity, gender, fluidity, and the oppressive shadow of marriage. That's actually a headline. One of the reasons we call liberals the alt-left is their opposition to anything traditional or normal like free speech, patriotism, or even marriage. Marriage has been a particular target of the left for many years. Forget the campaign for gay marriage. The left hates the institution, but it's easier to wreck it from within than without. As establishment puts it, marriage sits at the red-hot heart of our uh-huh, white supremacist capitalist patriarchy. Stop laughing. They actually believe this garbage. Katie Tandy, the co-founding editor, is what co-founding editor, delivered this unique take on weddings. What does marriage mean when you're gender fluid and loathing the patriarchy? Apparently, that it means you need serious help was not one of the multiple choice answers. I feel like this column needed a soundtrack to fit it in with the ridiculous text and subtext. Cue Frank Sinatra singing Love and Marriage, which TV fans will recognize from Married with Children, or perhaps Modern Love by David Bowie. Now, if you're in the proper mood, let's hear Miss Tandy's view of the wedding day. Weddings are, in short, a painful reminder of the sanctioned discrimination that runs rampant in our country, tangling gender, class, identity, and sexuality in a morass of white lace and marzipan flowers. Wow. Or the shortened version, she says, the oppressive shadow of marriage looms large. And that brings us to the establishment of take on a brand new movie you're probably dying to see. 
which is why I was generally thrilled to learn about DIY, a film about gender-fluid couple deftly wrestling with their pending nuptials and what the hell it all means in the day and age. Generally thrilled. I know you'll be shocked to discover that the movie was written by actors and dear friends Sarah McCarran and Yuval Boehm, who incidentally are both gay. Incidentally, in fact, that's what why they are making the film. We're making this because we're both gay and we wanted to tell a story about marriage, which up until now has been a heterosexual institution. But we wanted to tell it from a queer perspective. You certainly get that much. The article goes into detail about pegging, which you'll recall I described in column last year. Here's a lovely definition. A woman performing anal sex on a man by penetrating him on a, with a strap-on dildo. Now to a, a caption of this article, sometimes love is pegging. Nope, but your mileage may vary. And that demented worldview leads us to other interesting nuggets from the alt-left. Jeremy Lin's dreaded dreadlocks, the beauty of cultural appropriation is twofold. First, any everybody does it. Foods that one ethnic group likes become mass-marketed, as do clothes, music styles, and even holidays. I love some Mexican food or Tex-Mex, yet I'm hardly Hispanic. However, it's only fair because I see tons of people who aren't Irish-Americans celebrating St. Patrick's Day, along with Irish-Americans like myself. And no one cares. At least no one's saying cares. That leads us to the race-baiting left. They care selectively. It was amusing when Dennis Rodman and Jason Kidd dyed their hair blonde. No one was hurt or offended. Beyonce dared, her, dyed her hair blonde, and not only is no one offended, Ensis Maga, Magazine is telling women how they can do the same dye job. What's good for the Queen Bay is not equally good for others. Over at The Root, they are upset about the big news. Here's the lead, actual quote. Jeremy Lin has dreadlocks. Horrors. Am I right? No? You don't understand? Lin is Taiwanese. Descendant. Yeah, I didn't care either. But the root does. It followed the four-word lead with 85 words of filler and then, what the fuck? Never a publication known for subtlety. It hit the point again harder again for the readers joining us. Jeremy Lin, the Chinese-American basketball player, has motherfucking dreads. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Author Michael Harriet spent nearly 800 words calling Lin out for his haircut Harriet purports to ask journalistic questions all in vain. Specifically, nigga what? Yep, the rest of the article disparaged Lynn on based on his race, even his basketball skills, and it's okay. Mansplaining about evils of mansplaining. Mansplaining has become one of the defining phenomena of the 21st century, according to Lifehacker, apparently a site for hipster doofuses. Doofy? I don't know how you say that. It's one of the Hame Saban silly sites, and it certainly lives down to that rep. That was a quick little article from MRC. Kind of sums up everything else, but we got more. Ahead of Halloween, universities nationwide tell students what not to wear. Throughout October, universities across the nation are warning their students against Halloween costumes some consider offensive. Gone are the days when college students could dress up without fear of being reported to a bias response team. In recent years, more and more campus leaders have made it their mission to warn students. Flyers, memos, workshops, and more impart the admonitions. Unacceptable costume listed on a University of St. Thomas diversity flyers are wearing Native American headdress, dressing up as a Mexican by wearing a sombrero, dressing as a geisha, any form of blackface. 
They further expound cultural appropriation is defined as the act of taking intellectual and cultural expression from a culture that is not your own without showing that you understand or respect the culture, explains a University of St. Thomas diversity memo to students. You see, Santa Barbara did it. Uh, Princeton did it. University of Utah did it. Northern Arizona did it. Texas A&M. University of New Hampshire did it. But my favorite, Ohio State. The latest issue of a magazine run by the Ohio State University students featured a flow chart designed to help students determine whether their Halloween costume is racist. The flow chart enthusiastically supports costumes that make fun of Trump, but warns white students to avoid dressing as prince or wearing traditional headwear for their other cultures. In the very center of this picture, which I promise I'm going to blog, it is too good. It says, um, does it humanize or inhumane people down? Yes. What the fuck is wrong with you? Try again. Reconsider your costume idea. But dead in the center, are you white? <laughs> Almost every one of the white ones lead to try a new costumes. Yeah. That just shows you where the left's at. We're so worried about what people are going to wear on Halloween. It makes me want to stand on my front porch dressed as a fucking hipster and tell kids to go home. You get no candy because you look like Batman. And you're not Batman. You're insulting bats. College creates a quality equity report card to grade departments. Austin Community College recently developed an equity report card for individual departments to self-assess how inclusive they are, making equity the highest priority in all assessment planning and evaluations. Can earn a department an exemplar rating while a race and cultural blind department will receive an unsatisfactory score. I remember when school was about do people pass? What are the grades? Mm -mm. Now it's all about PC. Princeton op-ed, conservatives have no right to free speech. Yeah. An op-ed in the Princeton University Students newspaper attacking conservatives' right to free speech has triggered an impassioned response from many students and even a professor. The column contends that conservatives don't deserve the right to speech because if conservative arguments were strong, they would not be met by political opposition. <laughs> mm. So that's what it is. Political opposition. I thought it was, shut up, you're racist. That, that's the liberal opposition to everything. Study free speech inclusivity are conflicting interests. Yeah. A recent survey of biased response team administrators revealed that the need to balance protecting free speech with creating an inclusive campus environment presents them with conflicting interests. Administrators at private colleges report less difficulty, however, noting that they can greater leeway to restrict students from speaking at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Swarthmore students burn American flag on Columbus Day. On Columbus Day, the Swarthmore Indigenous Students Association, or CISA, yeah, that's actually their acronym, burned the American flag and issued a set of demands including removal of the flag from the campus. 
Students also demanded classes on indigenous people in all departments and free flights to and from home for students who cannot afford travel expenses. What the hell does that have to do with indigenous people? Do they think this out? Then there was this class at University of New Hampshire. Americans fallen significantly, and fatal and non-fatal shootings have also declined. Meanwhile, gun control advocates say limiting weapons will drive down gun-related crimes, and they point to Australia, where strict gun ownership laws were enacted after a historic massacre in 1996. Since then, there have been zero mass shootings, and firearms-related death rates have plummeted. So while politicians try to tighten or loosen gun laws from one administration to the next, U.S. citizens continue to be caught in the middle of this legislative gunfight. So I think the words have to do with the how uh, lax or strict is the gun control in that particular state. And by the way, Nevada is very relaxed. Anybody can, I think not even having uh, gone with an ID can get a gun there. So just something to think about. Okay, maybe we could follow Australia's example. That would be great. Um, okay, let me show you uh, a couple of pictures here. Okay. Um, so just to share my experience. So once you arrive uh, at the yeah, take all guns. Use Australia. These guys are good, man. They sink. They're like a bunch of god. They got their swatch watch and they sink them all. And they all have the same talking points. Not in colleges, but on the same vein. Are you weak if you make your man a sandwich? This is why real men don't marry feminists. Have you ever made your husband a sandwich? If so, you should be ashamed of yourself. Don't you realize such behavior sets women back decades? That's the message of a new article in the Daily Telegraph entitled, When Making a Sandwich is a Crime Against Feminism, about an Australian woman named Maddie who asked a Facebook group of 26,000 people whether anyone had some yummy alternatives for her husband's lunches, which she said she makes for him every day. Now that's what anyone I know would call a nice wife. But that's not what Maddie was called on Facebook. Instead, she was told she was nothing but a slave, a 1950s housewife. She was also weird as no woman in her right mind would do something so demeaning as to make her husband lunch. The feminist worldview is antithetical to love because it focuses solely on women, their needs to their wants, their desires and their rights. Love can't possibly sustain with an attitude like that. Here's just a sampling of some of the responses Maddie got. Your husband's a grown-up and you're not his mother. My husband can make his own damn lunch. I make my husband the same thing. He makes me nothing. Stuff that. Hubby's a grown man. I already do his laundry and keep his children alive. Our advice is to stop making his lunches. My role is child care during working hours. And that's it! Wow. That, my friends, is what feminism brought to America in the 70s. And it stuck. The idea that a wife would, or God forbid, should do anything for her husband with no exceptions for anything in return. Just to be nice, because as Maddie put it, she loves her man and they can't afford to eat out. Makes her weak. Honestly, it is really any wonder why the relationship between the sexes is such a mess today, or why, as Bloomberg published last week, married Americans are unhappier than ever. 
in my opinion, is largely because there are so many women in America today who either knowingly or unknowingly have a feminist mind. And the article continues for quite a while. But, you know, it's true. I do also, I do the laundry. Does that make me a bitch? I mean, who thinks like this? It's your loved one. I don't do things so I can get laid. I'm in my 50s. I don't get laid. Anybody in their 50s knows what I'm talking about. Your sex drive goes down. You don't think about sex that much anymore. The fact of the matter is, you do it because you love your your spouse. But because you make a lunch for your husband and your housewife, what is wrong with that? Nobody's enslaving you to do that. Most of those decisions have nothing to do with the patriarchy, the hierarchy, or any other archy. It has to do with monetary reasons. We can't afford to have our kids in daycare. Somebody's staying home. Husband has to make more money or happens to make more money. That's where we go. That's what we did. My wife wanted a career. I didn't say, you're going to stay here and you're going to make me a pie, bitch. That, that never was in the equation. Ah. California becomes the first state to officially recognize a third gender, which led me to the AP style book. Listen to this shit. And anybody who followed the show knows about last summer, I did a whole thing on the whole 85 genders, cis-normative, crazy shit. That by the end, we were all so fucking confused, because those people don't know what the fuck they're talking about, so how the fuck am I going to know what they want to be called, referenced to, or whatever? Here's some dictums from the Associated Press. Gender refers to a person's social identity, which sex refers to biological characteristics. Use transgender for people whose gender identity doesn't match the sex or gender they were identified as having at birth. They, them, there is okay in limited cause cases as a singular and or gender neutral pronoun. Do not use other neutral pronouns like Z. Yeah, I don't see me ever saying Z. Use transgender for people who's... Okay, they repeated themselves again. Call people transgender only if relevant. Give the name they are use, they use publicly. Avoid referring to them being born a boy or girl. Um, another one. Avoid transgender or transsexual. Don't call someone a transgender. Trans is okay on second reference and in headlines. Transition is the process by which people match their physical characteristics to their gender identity, or they become a unicorn, as I like to call it. For medical procedures, often but not always used for transitions, say sex reassignment or gender confirmation. <laughs> I thought gender confirmation is when the doctor looks at you when you're born and goes, got a dick, he's a boy. Got a hoo-hoo, it's a girl. Not in 2017, because we're fucking way stupid. Jeff Poor. This is the stuff that will turn me into an Oxford comma advocate. Essen. Wow. The AP is moving quickly, shockingly, to the far left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. They end with a bunch of shit about LGBTQ, but the one I like is homophobia is acceptable in broad references and quotes. When describing individual actions, use more specific language. So you can just, just paint people as homophobic. If they just say, yeah, I don't believe in gay marriage, but I don't give a fuck. Because I know that's what I was told over and over on the internet. I'm a homophobic. No, I don't give a fuck if you suck your own dick. I don't care. I just don't buy in. Sorry. To un... 
crazy liberal alt-leftness. This one's amazing. Goat herding dog refused to abandon flock amid firestorm, miraculously survived, and so did his flock. That dog made it through some shit. His his whole family bailed on him. Unburned. Got a picture of him. This one blew me the fuck away. I'm sorry I'm old and I feed squirrels in the backyard just in the winter. And I didn't know this shit. Squirrels use sophisticated technique to separate nuts by type. Study finds. These fuckers run a warehouse in your backyard. They're like Amazon. They know the bin number and everything for each nut. It's fucking crazy. 197 in animal studies, food studies, psychological study, weird studies is where this was done, which I thought was pretty interesting. Some squirrels go on little nuts when it comes to sorting their acorns, a new study finds. Go, uh, let me, okay, back up, let's do it again. Some squirrels go to, go a little nuts when it comes to sorting their acorns, a new study finds. They put two in there, it should be go a, we got it. Researchers at UC Berkeley observed, okay, that, that just sums it up. UC Berkeley studying squirrels. Maybe they should study free speech. Let's try that out. Observe the behavior of 45 nearby fox squirrels over a two-year period, finding that they use what's known as chunking behavior, organizing items into various smaller subsets in order to better manage their overall collection to categorize their various nuts. Um, this is notable because humans also use chunking techniques, although generally for storing information, whether the data is a spatial, linguistic, or mathematical variety. Taking your emails, for example, and dividing the message to various folders could be considered a form of chunking. Fox squirrels use this strategy to divide the nuts they gather over a year between 3,000 and 10,000 nuts. I never would have guessed the bottom number, let alone the top number. And to what researchers term subfolders, one for each type of nut. This is the first demonstration of chunking and scatter hoarding animals and also suggests that squirrels use flexible strategies to store food depending on how they acquire food. Squirrels may use chunking the same way you put away your groceries. You might put fruit on one shelf and vegetables on the other. Then when you're looking for an an onion, you only have to look in one place. Thus, the reason why the squirrels do it. That is fucking awesome. Just unbelievable. Only because, like I said, I watch them in the backyard when I'm bored drinking a cup of coffee some mornings. And they're just fucking going crazy right now. Shoving nuts everywhere. But I didn't know they had a fucking rhyme to the reason. But now if I've hit a hole and there's a 10,000 of the same nuts in there, I always just put it because that's what we have in our backyard. But no, they had it there for a reason. Hmm. Indonesia jet air ugh, God I cannot read today. Indonesia Air Asia jet plunges 24,000 feet in just nine minutes. I'm not reading the article. I fell once in a C-130 it scarred me for life. A website flight radar confirmed it. It descended 23,800 feet in nine minutes. There's video if you want to watch it. I do not. This one, I love. And it's at the end of our crazy, and it gets us lined up just right for our lighter fare. Man allegedly full of holiday spirits, charged after singing jingle bells through a bullhorn. (laughs) 
Story goes, Halloween is still two weeks away, and yet Christmas fanatics are itching to fire up the holiday music. Maybe this guy is just one of them. On October 7th, pol- October 7th, police in Iowa City, Iowa, responded to a noise complaint about a dude who was singing jingle bells to a bullhorn and really ticking off his neighbors. When police arrived, the pesky carol- caroler, 41-year-old Aaron Holtz, had gone back into the apartment, according to KCRG in Cedar Rapids. Police warned him about being drunk and disorderly, then they left, but not for long. Ten minutes later, they got another complaint that Holtz was blasting music from his apartment. Court records described it as loud, disturbing, and annoying to neighbors, according to KCRG. Yeah. That dude's the bomb. And two, our lighter fare. To start off, I had to get, this is actually from the Wall Street Journal. So I can't get the whole article, but I read the headline and I just started laughing. Maybe you won't find this funny, because it's kind of stupid. Enjoy that cup of coffee. Your total comes to $55. To justify eye-popping prices, high-end Java spots use rare beans, fancy machines, elaborate preparations, and heaps of hyperbole. In the beginning of the article, because if you don't have a Wall Street Journal subscription, you can't get it. Um, then there is 11 Madison Park, the Michelin-starring dining spot that just began offering $24 cup of Joe. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. To a couple threads on Twitter, which I've been doing a lot of Twitter in lately. I'll try to back off. It might be boring for some people, but I just think it's a, it's a state of our country when you look at this shit. And that's what drew me to it, just to read. Because these people, I mean, people don't live in the real world. That's why, why my ending is always the same statement. Disconnect. Because they're just fucking obsessed with this shit. But this one was funny. It was a damn thread that started hashtag Republican the movie. And it was used to dog Republicans. But in usual Twitter fashion, because Republican Twitter trends get crushed and taken out of the trend where liberal ones are allowed to thrive, that's their analytics. It's not bullshit. It's not Infowars. It's fact. I've seen it. I've seen 10,000 of something. It's never trending because they just crush it. Uh, doggone uh, CNN fake news and damn walkout and a couple other ones, they had to change the way they were hashtagging it so that Twitter would crush one, they'd start another. It happened forever. But this one got taken over by Republicans. And they did the same hashtag, but they were talking about Dems. Federal musket, the fault in our stars, a Republican movie. Honey, I blew up Obama's legacy with pictures of Trump signing executive orders. They're saying, fuck this order, fuck this order card. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Democrats, age of extinction. Somebody finally said, how about we start hashtag Democrat a movie? I checked it. It was trending when I grabbed some of this. I'll start Inglorious Bastards, the Weinstein Clinton Wiener movie. <laughs> My King and I with the Clintons with the Saudi Prince, with Obama with the Saudi Prince. But to be intellectually honest, something the left doesn't have to do, 
or doesn't know how to do, and they don't have to do. Nobody makes them. Bush was one, too, so you can't really say that. Honey, I didn't abort the kids was my fucking favorite. Another one, V for vindictiveness, and he's got a meme. Are you losing the debate? Shout racist, and you silence the opposition, which ends the argument, allowing you to claim victory. A public service announcement for American progressives, and that is so true. Jan Makowicz, or Josh Makowicz, all the president's men did a terrific job. Kim, a mo-cow bell, grumpy old man with pictures of McCain. Red Dawn, with the electoral map, it was done by Casanova, at water underscore X. I bogarted his picture of the election map, and I did Hamburger Hill, which I thought was pretty good. Constitution, actually, was another one. Honey, I grew the economy. Night of the voting dead. This person took the night of the living dead and he has the stuff in the background, but he puts the D symbol and then pictures of Hillary Clinton, uh, Reed, Pelosi. They're the screaming people overtaking their faces are the bodies that were in the poster. It was a lot of work. Um, I was really impressed. She goes by Angie Sensi of Sarcasm. Another one, Fast Food and Furious Feminist. Fight for 15 and yell about it. Angie then did Guardians of the Fallacy. And these are all with actual movie posters she's photoshopped. I was just totally impressed. And the last one, ISIS Space. Work sucks, but it can totally stop terrorism. Can you behead yourself? That'd be great. And they have pictures of the dude in post-it notes, which is the actual cover, with that idiot that used to work for the Obama State Department. I thought that was good. So that was our lighter fare. There's another one I had about Star Trek, but it's really stupid, and I'm not going to read it because it's stupid. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends. Send comments by emailing F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com, foppodcast at gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flyover Politics webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com, foppodcast.com. It's a theme. To see links to feeds for the show, links to our Facebook page, and to email us. There you'll see a link to every episode on the episode release page and my blog on the blog page. Looking at doing a podcast Monday, 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 the doggone 23rd of October. I'm releasing this one on the 18th, even though I recorded it on the 17th. Give a couple days. Try to get off the same subjects, because as you are probably bored listening to some of it, I'm kind of bored talking about Weinstein and something else. I'm thinking about doing a Friday free-for-all show on a Monday with non-political subjects. Dun-dun-dun! It'll be fun. Something totally different. As you close out your week and you go on your weekend, as I say on every show, please disconnect. Enjoy your family. Tonight I'm going to be sitting here by myself. Kind of wish I wasn't working on a script for a little while last night when my wife was home. And she'll be gone until Thursday, which kind of sucks. And it reaffirms that I, too, need to follow my own advice. It's a short ride, folks. It's just a short ride. 
Stop yeah yeah stop texting, Facebook liking, and all this bullshit. I find that when I Facebook and Twitter at work, I don't miss a thing. I just do it at work, on the clock. What the fuck everybody else does in the world? I'm finally learning how to be a real civilian. It's a lot of fun. But enjoy that. Have a fantastic weekend. If you're in the South like me, the temperatures have changed. 40, it was 39 degrees this morning. It was freaking awesome. I drove with heat on for the first time since last winter. It was quite enjoyable. So enjoy it. Enjoy fall. Enjoy your family. Thank you all for listening and take care. Let the bodies hit the floor.